0: Hello and welcome to the Respiratory Exchange podcast. I'm Ryan Wake, Chairman of the Respiratory Institute at Cleveland Clinic. This podcast series of short, digestible episodes is intended for healthcare providers and covers topics related to respiratory health and disease. My colleagues and I will be interviewing experts about timely and timeless topics in the areas of pulmonary, critical care, sleep, infectious disease, and related disciplines. We will share information that will help you take better care of your patients today, as well as the patients of tomorrow. I hope you enjoy today's episode.
1: This is Ancho Kapoor. I am one of the staff in Respiratory Institute. I'm here with my colleagues, Anhal Khoes and Colin Gillespie. We all three were in CHEST 2023 this year, and here we are to discuss our highlights and, and share our experiences with CHEST conference in, in Hawaii. I'll let Dr. Koz introduce himself.
0: Hello, everyone. My name is Angel Koz. I am pulmonary and critical care staff here at the Respiratory Institute, and I also hold a few leadership positions with Chest. I am a member of the Board of Regents, and I also am an outgoing member of the Guidelines Oversight Committee.
1: Dr. Gillespie?
2: I'm Colin Gillespie. I am a member of the Interventional Pulmonary Group here at the clinic and um, have been a member of the Educational Committee at CHEST and an active participant in the simulation programs.
1: Thank you both. As we all experienced that, there was a big presence of Cleveland Clinic within the CHEST meeting. We had around 75 to 80 sessions, including panel discussions, podium presentations, poster presentations by our multidisciplinary team, including... Physicians, nurse practitioners, physician assistants, residents and fellows over there. And we had a great time together. There were participation by multiple committees in multiple sessions, and clearly, Cleveland Clinic was one of the highlight of all the sessions. Dr. Gillespie, we can start with you what sessions you went to and what is your experience with the chest.
2: My biggest time commitment at CHEST this year was predominantly working at simulation sessions for CHEST. You know, I think that the simulation program that CHEST offers practicing pulmonologists is unique and a big draw for many people who are in practice. So I personally did sessions on chest tube insertions, tracheostomy, and retrieval of foreign bodies from the airway, as well as recognition of eBus imaging. So, you know, those are very well-attended sessions, generally relatively small groups with uh, no more than three-to-one ratios from learner to faculty. And It's a great opportunity to sort of keep a sense as to what are the challenges for people in practice in maintaining a high level of proficiency in procedures they might not get to do as frequently as as we do.
1: Thank you. Any feedback you want to share from those sessions from the participants?
2: The The interest in doing our own procedures remains strong within the pulmonary and critical care community. And, you know, that's a challenge as the the technical demands of procedures goes up. You know, I think that we still haven't totally figured out how best to adjudicate our abilities. And so I think that, you know, simulation is, is vital for people in practice to sort of get a sense for how do they do something and then hopefully, you know, inspiring you know not just ourselves but the community to set very high standards of quality to make sure that we're going back and looking at our outcomes and doing the best work we can
1: thank you dr coes which sessions did you attend and how, how was your experience with the critical care section mainly
0: Yeah, this year was very, very innovative when it came to the critical care part. And I particularly enjoyed it very much. And what I enjoyed the most was the representation from our group. I saw that there were several sessions that had several faculty from our institute, and that was very, very nice to see. One session that I liked particularly was the Critical Care Network Highlight, which was a session on vasopressors. And it had seth bauer which is one of our pharmacists here in the icu but it had a panel from all over the world that was marlise osterman who was the previous vice chair of the surviving sepsis guidelines and then was also the president of the Indian Society of Critical Care Medicine. That session was really well attended and it was really well delivered. And I think it gave us with some important lessons to our practice in critical care. And there was also another session in which two of our pharmacists were faculty talking about the differences in the use of vasopressors and providing a pragmatic approach to the day-to-day clinician so they can take to the bedside and use those lessons in the care of their patients. I personally participated in in a few sessions. I for the second year I gave the critical care year-in-review, which is is a one-hour session. There's two of them. One of them focuses on trauma, neuro, and mechanical ventilation, and the other one it focuses on ARDS, sepsis, and surgical critical care. I, my part was related to sepsis, and I this is a session that I particularly enjoy doing because it one forces me to refresh all the reading because I have to prepare this lecture, and it takes a lot of hours of preparation. It's several, several articles I have to come through. I actually have a shared folder with one of my friends who used to do this session in the past. And we keep this folder in Dropbox in which we put all the articles pertinent in sepsis throughout the year. And then at the end of the year, when it's time to close to the meeting, I have to go through all the articles (laughs) and decide what is going to be good to put in that because it's a 20 minute session, but kind of try to summarize the articles from the whole year. It's is it's is, is, it's a lot of work, but it's actually very rewarding and allows me to stay current. And there were also a few sessions in in guidelines that I uh, that I did that I think were also very well received and were were also very interactive. And I think this is also important to highlight because we have several members of our institute who are participating as panelists in some of these guidelines in critical care. We have one of them, which is in transfusion of of blood products in critically ill patients, which is close to being drafted, the, the final recommendations. Then we have another one, which is on renal replacement therapy in critically ill patients, in which Matt Shuba, one of our critical care faculty, is a member of the panel. That one, we're in the drafting of the recommendation, so we should expect to have a manuscript hopefully in the next six months. And then there's a new proposal that was accepted not long ago on the management of septic shock, in which another member of our group is also a panelist. So there's strong and growing participation from members of our group in this guideline domain, and I think that's also very important to highlight.
1: Thank you, Dr. Coase. As we all can witness, this, this meeting was a good balance of education, research, quality improvement, as well as wellness opportunities. I myself, in addition to all these sessions, happened to attend one of the wellness sessions, which was really well done. It was going from tai chai to what type of food habits you should develop, what chai type of behavioral changes you should be doing. And every single time I crossed that section, it was full. Any experience with the exhibit hall or, or the escape rooms? Any one of you have?
0: I have not done the escape room personally myself. I'm, I'm afraid that I'm not going to be able to come out. So, <laughs> but I I know that some of my my colleagues uh, friends from other institutions have done it and they they experience they 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 think it's a lot of fun. The experience the exhibit hall actually was was also a very nice experience because several of our fellows have presented in this sessions that I call Experience Chest. Those are bite-sized learning pieces that uh, is a 10-minute talk on very, imp- just take-home points. And last year, they did several of them. And this year, also, I know that they did some of those. And also, in the exhibit hall is where the posters and, and the rapid-fire sessions occur. And we had several residents and fellows pre- and APPs as well present in this area. The exhibit hall this year, because of the footprint of the conference center in Hawaii, was a little bit smaller. But I think despite that, there was great attendance and also... The meeting was, to my knowledge, the one that had the largest audience in history for chess. So it's it's been a big big hit, despite being Hawaii. Because sometimes there's constraints with budgets and the ability to take time away from work to go you know, several thousand miles away. But despite that, it has been a very well attended meeting.
2: And and there was a lot of buzz that I heard that just you know it being the largest attended chess. That almost 40% of those attendees were trainees, so that there's a lot of uh, the, the the youth movement is strong, um, with people's interest in, in in the ACCP and Chest as a, a a good meeting to attend.
0: Yeah, that's correct. There were actually a large number of trainees in the in the session. I don't know exactly the number, but I know that there it, there was a big presence, and that was reflected in the number of posters and case reports that were presented by trainees. And I think this just speaks to. A few things. One is that there's interest in our profession, and our in our field, but also that trainees are finding that, or the youth is finding the the way that chess does teaching appealing because I mean they do it in a way that is fun. So, and I mean young people especially enjoy that. So,
1: and I think post COVID also, right? This is one of the biggest meeting in a in a good locality, and people were eager to come and meet. And I really liked how chess embedded networking sessions within the meeting. I just recently joined a network and there were multiple opportunities to meet with those people at different hours so that I can meet them during the day as well as if needed to in the evening times.
0: Yeah, and I think that is one of the important parts of having these meetings in person, because it allows to network, because I think the network is one of the most important things of these meetings, because it allows you to connect to other people, see how they do things, see what you can learn from them, see what they can learn from you. And, ultimately leads to more opportunities to mean different projects in education research guidelines, etc. So the network is really important. I think that's something that we have grown over the last couple of years with our growing presence in chess.
1: And surely with those people you meet, you can think of next proposals mm-hmm. um, what you're going to propose for 2024.
0: Exactly and you meet them in a more relaxed environment usually I mean with I mean not work related stuff I mean maybe a few drinks here or there. So it's a lot more relaxed and, I mean, a lot more things can happen organically.
1: From education content. I, I personally found that it was a portfolio of critically ill critical illness. For example, I went to mechanical ventilation sessions, fluid pressures, sepsis, pro cons of artificial intelligence, controversies in mechanical ventilation. So it felt like, you know, I'm there and learning every single aspect of critical care. Any experience with your your experience with pulmonary sessions?
0: I personally only attended maybe a couple of pulmonary sessions. They were on pulmonary physiology, cardiopulmonary exercise tests, and they are really, really interactive and they're really fun. But most of my focus was critical care. I don't
2: know calling of you. Um, I attended a session that was... Started by one of our fellows, Graham Stockdale, presented a case. A bunch of people talked about the ICU management of people with obstructive lung disease, and our own Ed- Eduardo Morales spoke about rescue strategies for people who are, are really particularly challenging to ventilate. That I thought was really nicely done.
1: First time I was part of non-pulmonary critical care section where my talk was on acute liver failure, but it was heavily weighted on OBs. OBS critical care, and many of our applicants who come in, they do ask that experience. So I was very happy to see obstetrics as a part of critical care in that section, including endocrine. I think the fourth topic was neurocritical care. So well-rounded experience in CHEST this year.
0: And critical care is the part of the program that has the largest footprint. Typically, on average, is around 30, 25 to 30 percent of the meeting is critical care. So whoever has to put that part of the meeting together, it carries a lot of weight on their shoulders, but it it ultimately leads to a great experience. But it's, I don't know how many sessions were this year, but when I did it a few years ago, I think they were around 55 to 60 critical care sessions. And then the rest was divided among pulmonary and sleep medicine. But there's a big, big critical care presence.
1: Both of you, Colin and Coase, do you have any recommendations for our future applicants to Chess when they're writing their proposals? I mean, you being big part of Chess for years and years, do you have any suggestions for them?
0: Yeah, so I think the w- things that are most important when you're thinking of a submission is, one, to have a topic laid out in a way that is, that is didactical so that actually you can see how the audience would appreciate that session. And then when it is developed, a few things that are very important for the program community from my experience in the past are that there is diversity in all aspects. In chess, no longer accepts panels in which they are, they're all males, or and there's also geographic diversity. So a lot of times when we put sessions together, we're tempted to maybe put people we know, and those people tend to be from the same institution. That is something that may actually decrease the chances of your proposal being accepted. So if you're interested in doing that, may not know other people that could potentially participate in the panel, you can reach out to the leadership. I mean, they're very open and very welcoming to help and kind of work with you to put a proposal together and maybe find, identify speakers with similar interests from other parts of the country. So that way, your session has much
2: higher chances of being accepted.
1: Thank you. Colin, do you want to highlight how to submit for simulation?
2: Um, Well, I think that, you know, one of the key pieces of advice for a young person looking to put put a a package together or a, a session together is, you know, what are the problems that you struggle with in your daily life? You know, CHEST, I think, is a very practical organization. And if you find something interesting or challenging, that's a great place to start. Because I, you can guarantee that what you're wrestling with is something that someone else is wrestling with. And so the more you can sort of put a session together to address a problem or a need that you went to literature to go look up or to, to find the answers to, that's a great place to start. You know, when you're putting together a simulation session, you know, what are the skills that you're working to acquire? Where are the things that you would wish you could get more practice Or get you know an expert to sort of help walk you through a problem you know those are the ways to go to to move forward and that's often you know combining new technologies so you know the emergence of thoracic ultrasound in procedural medicine for taps chest tubes identification of pneumothorax that's a skill that you can practice and that you can learn pattern recognition but it's hard to do on your own so you know really trying to put together something that you think you're going to bring a nugget of, of experience in a digestible way is the, the place to start.
1: Thank you.
0: Other type of submissions that I think are really popular are the ones that are case based. Just kind of building on what Colin mentioned that finding those areas in which you struggle or you find that there is maybe not clear guidance you can build a case from that and sometimes those lend to different Topics to be dissected or to be explored further, or sometimes create pro con debates. And those are usually fun because, at the end of the day, nobody necessarily has, I mean, nobody is, is right, neither side, but it actually helps the audience a lot to see the two different points of view and where sometimes there is a lot of common ground and sometimes in areas in which there is the discrepancy. And that helps the clinician, day to day, day to day clinician kind of see where we all struggle and kind of see that our problems are not are not unique and kind of take that information and be able to to apply that back home. And others other sessions are also really, really helpful. But for this there's probably a little bit uh, need of more interaction with the education department or the education committee. is the practice-based learning sessions. I actually did one of these that I enjoyed very much. I did not know how it was going to turn out, but I, I I think my my audience enjoyed it a lot. It was they gave me this this title is Managing the Critically Ill Patient Using Guideline-Based Medicine. It was basically what I did is created a case in which there were several decision points that uh, needed to be, decisions needed to be made, and then used the evidence tables from the guidelines to actually have my attendees kind of come to their own conclusion and kind of Mimicking what a guideline panel does when they sit at the table and kind of decide what recommendation is going to be made. So they actually understand understood what the sausage making of a guideline is, and they actually found it very, very interesting. And I think those are also things that could be useful with a little bit more of an education, background education, that can be put together. And Chess is very open to help interested people to do this. I mean, they're very open to help put sessions together because at the end of the day, is they I mean talent when they when we put our heads together we create better content so
1: thank you Kos, for all the recommendations and suggestions for people i also ended up attending a post course session my plan was to do pre course but uh, the, by the time i applied the seats were full there were multiple leadership sessions as a pre course and the post course session I actually attended was the critical care it was, again, the port of things, but the beauty of it was, it was sort of one-on-one. There was not too many people, and uh, the faculty, most of the faculty I knew from before. So it was really good mix of faculty plus multiple topics, including sepsis, fluid, ARDS, CRRT. So all the sessions where they were hour long sessions in the course. Now it has one-on-one case-based discussion on all those sessions. As you pointed out, it was all like, this is the case, how evidence is being applied at multiple steps within the case. I really loved that post-course on critical care. In addition, I, I personally liked how they started the sessions and how they finished the sessions. It was early start and early finish, and you see people on the streets and the restaurants and the people who wanted to enjoy Hawaii was given the time by chest to enjoy the time over there.
0: Yeah, that's done by design. I mean, taking advantage of the time difference. So even people from the West Coast have a three-hour advantage. So they're ahead. So I mean, you can actually start very early. My early session, <laughs> I was at five, 5. fifteen 5. in the morning. Yep. I was. I don't know why I did that because it was on the almost the last day. So I was already kind of adapted to the Hawaiian time zone. <laughs> so I regret very, very, very fondly <laughs> doing that session at five fifteen. But. I can see how, I mean, because of the time change, people can start early, but the purpose of that is to finish by 2.30, 3 p.m. So you have the whole afternoon to do as you please around the the, the island. And I mean, it's a beautiful place to visit and you can have a lot of fun there. Sure.
2: I think just to remind people that um, you hinted on this, that when you're going to these meetings, if you're interested in joining a particular session, if it's a ticketed session, you really want to sign up early you know so when the agendas are put out really spend a few minutes to look through what's coming and 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 put your name out there because otherwise these sessions do fill and they can fill quite quickly so the earlier you you know make your plans to what you want to accomplish the more likely you are to, to do it
0: yeah that is true because those sessions sell out really quickly and then Sometimes they may add an additional one, but there's so many, so many sessions that uh, faculty can do. So if you're interested in these ticketed sessions, which are usually very, very high quality, very small groups. So they're really, really nice to attend. So, but you need to sign up early.
1: Thank you both. Any other thing which we haven't highlighted you want to point out?
2: I would uh like to give a shout out to our Dr. Atul Mehta who was part of a, a really rousing and stimulating pro con debate on flexible versus rigid bronchoscopy. And you know, the pro con debates I do think are are you know not just entertaining because they're usually engaging speakers, but it's it's good to recognize that there's there's more than one way to skin a cat. I think very often, you know, when if you're a fellow in in the ICU your attendees can make things feel like there is a right way to do this. But one week to the next, those right ways could be very different from each other. And so it's a, it's a really good way to keep an open mind and to recognize that there, there's multiple different ways to approach a problem.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I think that pro con Debates highlight that to the maximum. And I yeah. think it allows us in the audience to see that there's multiple ways to get from point A to point B. And I mean, none of them is necessarily the best. Uh, it just, it depends on, your, your skill set, and sometimes even the patient that you have in front of you. So, And that's that's really important. One thing that I wanted to highlight is that the deadline for the submissions is November 30. So if you're interested in submitting a session or a proposal, you have until November 30 to submit your proposal. Again, keep it in mind that it needs to be diverse. The topic needs to be engaging. And sometimes we tend to think that if we go deep into a very specific topic that's going to make it more appealing, that's not necessarily the case. You want to keep the the experience to a clinically applicable level. So you want to make sure that you cover the basis of critical care or pulmonary medicine, maybe going a little bit deep in some topics, but not going really, really deep, because that is not what we're trying to, to present when we're doing the annual meeting. And two is the diversity of of disciplines. You want to have physicians, pharmacists, trainees, also APPs in, in, in the panel, and also geographic diversity, of, and of course, gender diversity. There is no single session, and we have been keeping track of that for some time now. There's not anymore the manuals that sometimes there still exist in some presentations. So.
1: Thank you, Dr. Close, for your advice. For the time, we will finish our discussion here. Thank you, Dr. Colin Gillespie and doctor Anne An-Haul Coase. Feel free to contact Dr. Coase for further submissions. He is a really great mentor for next submissions. <laughs> Thank you all.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Respiratory Exchange Podcast. For more stories and information from the Cleveland Clinic
1: Respiratory Institute, you can follow me on Twitter at triadwakemd.